on this episode of Never Surrender. I really feel that um, I need to tell stories and need to continue to do those things, even when, you know, critics are going to punch me in the face and kick me on the ground, even though, you know, they don't know that, you know, you almost lost your son and they'll continue to write shitty things about the art that you've made. And, you know, it's like... It, it can be dark, you know, and I think if you let it get to you or you can be intellectual, go, OK, <laughs> that's OK. It's almost like when someone's angry at me, I have trouble with that. You know, it's like I got to be OK with someone not liking what you made and or being angry at you. And that's like a massive life lesson for all people, you know. I'm Jack Hergith. And I'm Stephen Kramer Glickman. And this is Never Surrender. The show where we sit down with the most successful people in the entertainment industry to talk about failure and how they pushed through it and never gave up. Because we've all failed. We've all had setbacks. Yeah, we've all questioned whether to keep going. But at some point, everybody struggles. Yeah, I mean, I've been let go from some of my favorite jobs. You and me both. We just hope that by listening to this podcast, it will help give you the strength to never surrender. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Our guest today is a quadruple threat. She's an actress, director, producer, and writer. She starred in a number of TV shows and movies, like Blast This Mess, Over Her Dead Body, and No Escape. And as a writer and director, she's worked on films including In a World and I Do Until I Don't. She's currently starring as the voice of Poison Ivy in the HBO Max animated series Harley Quinn. And with the career she's had, it's hard to believe she's ever failed. But she'll be the first to tell you that life isn't without its share of challenges, and she's here to talk about it. This is Lake Bell. This is so wonderful. Uh, Lake Bell, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This is so cool. We're doing it. We're, We're... in a black uh, box that's <laughs> it's very padded so that in case anyone flails or I gesticulate a lot. So in a way, oh, it's great. good. Terrific. Well, that's why it's padded. So if you hit your. Yes, what I mean. And I'm, I'm wall, protected. I feel very safe. Uh, yes. Well, you should feel safe. Uh, you are a very accomplished actor, writer, and director. Uh, you've been in some uh, phenomenal films and uh, animated uh, things, all sorts of shows, television, movies. You've made movies. I've seen <laughs> movies you've made. Uh, but the, there's one uh, project, uh, an early project of yours I'm very interested in, uh, The Late Lake Show. Let's oh, talk about... <clears throat> That yes, show. let's talk about that. The um, late, <clears throat> the late lake show. Yeah, the uh, late, I'm gonna the take late. a, I'm gonna take a swig of water. The late lake way show. Back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just th- what you're long. talking about. The late lake show was <laughs> um, a procrastination tool that I would use with my parents um, when they'd be like. You know, I was like five or something, and it's like, all right, honey, it's time for bed, you know, and I'm like, 
But wait, who's this crazy cat? <laughs> it's a late lake show. Everybody sit down and get ready for this thing. You know, and I was just like, bullshit out of my ass. I was like, to drink a glass of whatever, you know, was going on. Because it was always like, like a, you know, my parents would have friends over or something like that. And I think the late lake show was really born from the not having to, I did not want to deal with the darkness and the like bore of trying to go to sleep. Yeah. Oh, I get that. Yeah. Kids are uh, so Your funny. dad is Jewish. My dad's a Jew. Your mom is Protestant. She which is, is exactly Gentile. the same as me. My dad was Jewish. My mom was Protestant. Well, my mom was raised. Raised Protestant. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of religion in our, in my upbringing. That said, my mom was more kind of interested in, in the, the, the traditions and the pomp and circumstance, the beauty of, of what, you know, church offered. You know, she's very visual. She liked emotionally kind of being transported into a space that felt sacred. Like, I could see that she was, like, enamored of that kind of tradition. You know, right. she, she she married a, a very gentlemanly, waspy, old money man. And, like, really, we kind of, you know, that was how I was raised. And then my, my father, they were divorced by the, when I was one, so... I always knew two two vastly different households. Did, did that uh, having parents divorce at that age? Like, did that? What type of effect does that have on a on a? child around well it pushes life. you to do the late lake show that's what it does <laughs> all of a sudden you're like uh, you're like i gotta i'm gonna have to be quick i'm gonna have to think of shit here um but i will say no i think actually it, it's a huge re you know there was a lot of personalities in in my childhood you know i used to be like oh so dysfunctional and it was but i think what's most interesting about it is that um the sort of uh young ability to kind of start to you know, sort of assess a strong personality or manage a myriad of them, vastly different people. I mean, sure. my dad is Jewish. He married a Catholic woman who is from sort of uh, working class um, uh, background in, in Philadelphia. My father is like a sort of wealthy Jew. And then my mom, who is like has this like really interesting background, who came from a Jewish neighborhood, but then was raised ostensibly Christian and married an old money Ohio uh, um, Christian, you know, Gentile, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so you have all with with strong, strong um, cultural uh, ties to wasp culture. And my mom. Okay. Yeah. So it's like there was just like, you know, you go to sort of Christmas to Philly and um you know, in the outskirts of the city and, and having a very a vastly different experience there. And then, you know, into when you said wasp culture, all I the, the first thing I thought was racquetball. Is it, was racquetball? <laughs> sure. Sure. You're seeing the sort of like a taut white short, yes. um, a starch and then just a lot of sort of stiff uh, calculated movements towards uh, uh, a ball. Yeah, it sounds like very homoerotic in a way. Um, does, but yeah. uh, so. Yes, you're correct. But I think that it's, yeah, there's just, uh, I was immediately and always have been vastly obsessed with culture in general, cultural politics, the human condition within a culture. Um, I loved other languages, other other countries. I loved the idea of like going to other countries and being like, wow, now I'm immersed. I've been dropped into another 
sense it's another reality like the way that ev- everyone speaks looks at each other talks the way that their mouth moves i mean their face looks different and it's like because they're speaking different languages with have which have different resonance and they affect you know it's like the way that they eat the way that they choose to sort of react you know react to each other it's just everything the smells everything i just was very much immersed in in and obsessed with that. And I think that's where I, I became really interested in storytelling and, and people, you know, and, and um, I like humans a lot and I'm interested in them and I want to <laughs> see how they live in all different ways. So. I get that. I mean, you, you also had kind of a, a big uh, change as far as like where you were living. I mean, you were living originally in Manhattan, but then you moved to Florida. Yes, very. So yeah. What what on earth? What kind of life change is that? That's got to be. How old were you when that happened? I was like eleven. Oh my god! Yeah, eleven or twelve. So that's a that's weird. A big, like, that's such a, a weird, big, weird oh, move. You're like, who am I? In like, what Florida is that? of all places? <laughs> too? When you found out you were moving, were you excited? Well, the eleven year old in me was like. Oh, Florida. Okay, let me take that folder out in my head. What is Florida? And I just saw the image of like Disney World and I was like, Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. that sounds cool. There's yeah, surfing in Disney World. There, Beaches, yeah. right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, Cool, great. Oranges, all of orange juice. You know, <laughs> let's do this. Yeah. And uh so it was very simple. And then of course the complexities of being in junior high, going from an all girls school in New York City where Ooh. it's like you know, you have all these street smarts of like, you know, we wore all uniforms and it was like, they're nice parameters actually to kind of navigate the rest of the shit. So you're like, oh, okay, I know how to kind of take the Crosstown bus to go to my tutor. Um, You know, I get a hot dog at the kiosk after, you know, it's like there was certain like understanding how the world works within these blocks. Mm. And then going to Florida where it's like, you know, first of all, junior high, boys, no dress, you know, you're just like, I, I think dress code was interesting. I don't know why that's coming up, but I think that there's something interesting about the limitations that you have. There's sure. something like we're all kind of in it. We're all wearing the same outfit. Right. Right. So you're sa- like there's a safety in that. There's a lot of safety in that. Yeah. Absolutely. There's no like competition, really. You yeah. Know? Right. Yeah. Um, but then to go from that to like a regular. Yeah. Like junior high really school. gendered too. you know what I mean? Like it's Florida. Yeah. So you're going into a space where. I remember there was a story where my mom, I, I did fencing, of course, Chapin, how did Wasp. That, how did that There you go. The the all-girls the school on the Upper shorts. East Side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of white. A lot of white. You're covered in yes. just like, how you, did you, you get it. It's uh, like a beekeeper, but like, you Literally know. Yeah. pick up fencing. How did I that... picked up fencing through just because Chapin offered it and I thought it was cool. So I did it when I was a kid. It's kind of cool. Hey, I get it. Yeah. It's like you feel like you're like in Star Wars um, <laughs> in some ways. Uh, and so then when we moved to Vero Beach, Florida, which is a tiny town, my mom was like, I want to... You know, things are going to change, a lot of changes, but at least she can keep up her fencing. And so she looked up in the white, in the white, yellow pages and, you know, saw a couple of ads and called up. And my mom being extremely waspy in culture and kind of like sitting on the edge of her chair and, you know, very respectfully called uh, a gentleman who answered the phone. Hello. You know, and she said, yes, my uh, hello fencing. She said, my daughter's been taking fencing for two years and I would like, we've just moved here from Manhattan and I would like her to continue. And um, the guy was silent for a long time and he was like, lady, we sell it by the yard. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and that, I feel like, really encapsulates my mom, Robin oh, Bell, and that whole move. So, wow. yeah. And that really, you know, wow. so that was, she was like, oh, oh, you know. And of course, you know, there's just a lot of adjustments and it was crazy. And I, I think I 
liked it because it was extraordinary. It was almost like living in Sweet Valley High, the, you know, the book, but yet also really hard. That's where you're going through all the shit where people think, you know, they're like mean yeah. and stuff, you know? Yeah. How do you, what did you do to- I was like scrawny and hairy. Like I was very hairy. To have to reestablish yourself in a whole new environment. Yeah. It was That whole like almost middle school-y type age, which is a horrible time for anybody. But having to go- Girls, boys, everyone. We're all fucked. And in a way that's nice, but it means like (laughs) people are having, they have their defenses up, they're being mean, they're being popular or whatever. I just tried to- Did you feel like you were bullied? I was just in the, I was- I, you know what I did? I kept it real. I kept it. I just I was really good friends with some of the popular girls. And I was like a scrawnier until I didn't have like they had like cool boobs and stuff. You know, I was like, like cool boobs. Yeah. Like super <laughs> Whoa, cool. Wait, what? Yeah. You didn't know the boobs. There's cool boobs. Cool okay? boobs. When you're young, when you're young and you have uh-huh. boobs, those are cool boobs. But basically those girls were cool. And I aligned myself to be just like uh, a good sidekick. I was, I, you know what I mean? I was from New York, so I was new. They were like, hmm, interesting. We'll help you get there. You know, I remember like being um, brought into the acolyte. There was like an acolyte after school thing that my mom sort of wanted me to be a part oh, of. Oh, God. So all of a sudden, I, you know, my, I felt, I couldn't have felt more like Jewish in that moment. And I just being <laughs> like, I was like really scrawny and like tan. And I was very hairy as a kid. And like, you know, I, I, I just I was like just like a rat my all of my um I like my eyeballs my nose and my mouth were huge so I just had like huge features on a tiny head <laughs> and then like massive like knees and just like gangly it was a mess and like we would go on this accolade uh, on this trip to the water park oh, I remember dude. I was also small and um they there was all these like really kind of tall big boned blonde you know girls and i cool really boobs. did they had cool boobs and um they and i was so like the uh, like one of these things is yeah. you know i was like doing it something and i i was small and i remember the guy uh, being in line to go on a, a some sort of slide or some shit and um you know, girl after girl would go. And then he came to me and he just looked at me and he goes, uh, and he took a moment and he goes, uh, uh, puedo, and he starts speaking to me in Spanish. And I was like, Oh, I, I'm, I don't speak Spanish. And he was like, Oh, and he just like thought he like, it was such like a Florida thing where I was like, Oh, so interesting. Like he just goes ahead and assumes that a, I just don't belong here or I speak a different language. He right. literally was like, do you know what I mean? There was like such oh, assumptions. Yeah. It was such yeah. a different time, you know? Right. And, um, and then uh. I was like, fucking A, I should have taken Spanish because it would have been so dope if I could have like <laughs> responded. Yeah. I literally have wanted to learn Spanish oh, since that moment. Water <laughs> you think it was because water of your massive, your massive knees? Um, I don't know. You just, I felt like very cool. I just was like, because again, I was like the little kid who's obsessed with culture. So yeah. I was like, oh, I could go incognito. Like, this is so cool. Yeah. I could be like... Uh, no, you know, like I just <laughs> yeah, wish yeah, I yeah. had something to say back because it was like I literally would fantasize about being not like I wanted to be away from my family, but I wanted to be Spanish. Like I literally had 
like I want to be French. I want to be, you know, I, I want to be all these different things. And I had a journal where I and I remember after that particular moment, I like had this whole persona that I created based on what this man had said to me. I was like, I could have I could be someone completely different. And I, that's, of course, my obsession of character. Of course. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And with voices. And yeah. Impressions I was like, and damn sounds it. And oh, my God. You've said that you feel comfortable being a fish out of water. And that you sort of thrive on that. And I'm like, what about being a fish out of water do you thrive on? Um, I think, well... It, or like, it, what makes you comfortable moment, and uncomfortable Yeah, like, I, I feel like in general I've been... Ve- I think because I've had a great training from the, the, the myriad of people in my family and the different personalities, I feel like being exposed at a young age to a million different ways that people live, but then also... Um, the humor in it. I, I feel like that's, you know, comedy for me is really born from what is truly excruciating and deeply, um, you know, uh, raw or painful or true and sure. very just like crystal clear. Um, so I don't know, you know, because when I see things that are like really far fetched, I'm like, ah, I don't think it's so funny. You know, it's like that doesn't appeal to me as much when it's like really intensely uh, sharply real, I feel like that is makes me laugh like uncontrollably. And I think being a fish out of water, the feeling of that makes you feel like you're immersed in someone else's story. And that is exciting to me. It's like all I, I lived in England. I went to drama school in England and was my only American at my college. I, you know, was um, I went to um au pair at 13 years old I, I went off to to France to au pair and I did not speak French at that point and I just remember being like wow this is terrifying and also exciting you know it was a small town too so nobody was like in Paris and things like that more, more cos- cosmopolitan spaces you're gonna have people speaking English but sure. this is like nobody's fucking speaking English wow. you know what I mean and I just remember wow. really craving that early in your career when you were starting out you know were there any kind of struggles you ran into early as you were trying to break in or that roles you were being you were being given? Like what sort of struggles were you sort of facing? Yeah, I mean, in? absolutely. You know, I remember being like 18 or 19 and I came to L.A. to, you know, and some and a manager was hip pocketing me. She ended up representing me for a long, long time. She was amazing. But I was still at drama school and I remember coming out and being like, oh my God, I'm going to audition for like a guest star on Felicity, you know? And I was (laughs) like, I will make it. And so I got a call back and I was like, oh, I've made it, you know? And I was like, I can't go back to drama school now. Like, this is it, you know? And I remember my manager... So this happened while you were in drama school? Yeah. And and my manager, amazing woman, Joni Burstein at the time, was like, you know, she was like, you got to go back to drama school. You can't stay here for for this one moment. I didn't get the job, of course, but I was just like, you know, she was like, you need to. But I remember thinking like, oh, my God, I'm going to go to to drama school. And during all of my hot years, I remember someone like saying like is all like 19, 20, 21, 22, that I was just going to be there studying theater while all these other bitches are over there doing it. You know, I was like so upset. And that was like a very childish, very sort of like, you know, silly way to look at it. And I knew I had been writing since I was a kid, man. Like I I had stories and, and, uh, you know, imaginary worlds and, and characterizations and 
and like scenes and things that I had had in my head since I was little, you know, that I have journals of, you know, and I knew I wanted to do that. But I just felt a massive pull to be an actor initially. Like it just like I wanted to be immersed in those worlds. I wanted to be fish out of water. I wanted to learn all those things and pretend to exist in those other spaces for real. Um, I needed to 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 feel that. But uh, so drama school was very satisfying in that respect. I'm so glad I went back. I'm glad, you know, that I got to kind of express it that way. That said, when I came out of drama school and came to L.A., it was like the it, it was just a wall. It just culturally was such a shock um, going from I remember at drama school, they do teach you how they prepare you how to you know, get ready for auditions and, you know, and uh, part of their thing was to wear all black so that and no makeup, all clean face so that you could be anything right. Like mm-hmm. black box theater approach to any audition. Now, my manager set me up with some auditions and she was like getting feedback about me, like being sort of bare faced, pulled back and all wearing all black. And she was like, what the fuck? <laughs> She's like, did you wow. wear all black? You were supposed to be like a bartender, you know, like a hot bartender for X, Y, Z or whatever. And I was like, well, I was trying to just embody the character within my, you know, within my voice and my space. And and she was like, OK, <laughs> she was like, even if you and this was really funny, different time. But she was like, even if you're playing a character that is like. Like her husband just went away to jail. You know, the kids are screaming in the back and, you know, you're dying of a uh, 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 disease. You still have to have mascara and a push up bra. On, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, my God. You know what I mean? And I was like, what? And, you know, she's like, you have to be like the hottest version of that. And I was like, so it's a different time. Even if you're dying, you have to look hot. Yes. And this was like. Uh, I'm like a nobody who's like, sorry, I just did another knocking. Listen, I gesticulate a lot. The sounds you're hearing is my arms flailing around the studio and hitting shit. Okay, that's what all of that is. Okay, so if you hear it, that is me gesticulating. That's just oh, how I this roll. Is so great. Um, but yeah, and by the way, that was another problem with the auditions early on, which was like I was using my hands so much because I was doing theater and I was like a big fucking you know hitting people in the face yeah yeah exactly so then i had to start sitting on my hands that was what i think allison jones told me to do that oh my god yeah i mean it was very silly so those were the kind of things that i think um you know i you know i was a waitress i did all i paid my dues i was a cocktail waitress at la colonial um i remember uh tori spelling knocking a accidentally knocking a, a, a whole tray of champagne flukes oh, on me. Tori no, no, it was fine. She was having a great time. Listen, it was very tight in there. It was yeah. very tight. Yes. I was not, I was still learning. It's hard. Like, that was like my worst nightmare to bring a, a tray of champagne flukes. It was just, Were you yeah. nervous, having a job like that, were you nervous about being seen by people in the industry that you were working as a... No. Uh, uh, you didn't have any problem oh, with that? Oh, it's fine. I was like, that's, yeah, we're all doing it. Yeah, every that's like the like, I, Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm fucking waitress. Like, yeah. see you next Tuesday at the, you know, um, audition. I, I, it, it was fine. I, I, I actually took it very seriously. I'm a dork. I was like so excited. I was like, so I'm going to be the best waitress. I make sure that they have just what they need. Let me make sure I'm going to check in. I'm going to be fun, affable. 
I might make a joke. I don't know. If they don't like it, I'll read the room. I'll walk away. You know what I mean? So I was into it. And then I was, uh, I did. Uh, did you model, do modeling? I did modeling in, 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 in London a bit, which was a whole nother can of worms. What was that like? That was like, I was hired, like, the only thing you can do, basically, with the, without a national security number for a job uh, while you're at school is, one of them is modeling. Because it's not, you can't really say, well, you know, somebody else could do that. You could say, well, I, I'm fulfilling a certain, you know, like I'm, I look like there's nothing I can do about it. I just am, they want to hire me based on just what my face, you know, whatever, yeah. what I look like. And, um, you know, I was a really, I was a crappy, I wasn't great at that. I was not like eight feet tall and like, mm-hmm. I wasn't actually like doing shows. And my mom was like a professional, like serious model. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she's, she was like, you know, during Twiggy days, she was like fucking amazing. Um, I was, I looked great, you know, whatever. I'm not going to like diss myself, but I think what was funny about it is that I got hired as like, uh, it was a shitty, um, uh, modeling agency that just did promotional stuff. So I did a couple of magazine things, but mainly my main gig, which I, some girl told me about from school. She was like, yeah, you could do this thing. It's called promotional girls. And I was like, what's that? You know? And she was like, you just, you know, she was like, oh, it's really easy. All you got to do is just kind of like dress up in stupid outfits and then like point people in the right direction of the bathroom or whatever. And I was like, okay, great. That's easy. So I would go to, you know, pr- events and you just stand there like a dim, like a doofus in like a dumb outfit and people would be like, where's the bathroom? You'd be like, oh, it's like that. You know, and that was it. And I was like, cha-ching and done, you know. I remember Wouldn't dressing up Lou, as... Would it though? It would be the Lou, right? It'd be the Lou, yeah. Yes. It'd be yes. the, yeah, yeah, it was all too close, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, um, uh, I've got to take a piss. Uh, but anyway, they, they, <laughs> yeah, I remember like one time being like um, dressed up as a, like a, like a, like a raunchy robot at one point it was like a whole robot theme and i was kind of like i can't tell if this is demeaning or awesome (laughs) like (laughs) i was like i i'm really in the middle on this you know uh but yeah i was i was at the rugby world cup once in a tent like a vip tent and i was like that seems kind of cool and i remember it was like there was a a vo um they had to announce a raffle you know um, and they're like, okay, so we're going to announce the raffle. You know, it was like some like really stodgy random thing. And, uh, you know, I was supposed to be a promotional girl and like dancing or sort of just looking nice. And I wasn't dancing, actually. I wish I was. Got paid more. Um, but no, I was just sitting there kind of showing people where the, the fucking buffet was and the whatever. And she had this mic and this woman's voice was just terrible. It was just like driving me crazy. And I was, you know, I'm a drama school student. And I just was like, hey, I just asked my manager. I was like. I know I'm just like a random person here, but um, can I do the raffle announcement? I'm, you know, I'm American. It's kind of fun. I could do like an announcer voice and it's just, I'm just throwing it out there. Um, And so sure enough, they let me do it. (laughs) And I was like, ladies and gentlemen, you know, it's like, (laughs) so, and, uh, um, and they're like, what the fuck? And now we will announce the raffle winner, which is, four seven two six you know it's like it, and it was just like <laughs> so a fun little fun. thing like that you know i would always try to or myself in i mean i was an unaccompanied minor for many years uh-huh. on delta this delta flight because i would always see my dad every other weekend and i convinced the ladies who i got to know very well uh on this flight to for me to do the the announcement yeah oh, that so was like fun. my first oh, did v- you really yeah i was like 13 
Yeah. That is so like, funny. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 106 uh, Flight Delta, blah, 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 you know, service to fucking whatever. Keep listening because there's more to come with Lake Bell after this break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How did you get, like, how did you, what was your first voiceover job? Here? Yeah. My first real one, I think, was, like, Peabody and Sherman or something. I played, like, a very tiny role. Uh, Mona like... Lisa, I think I played or something. And there was, like, one small thing in Shrek where I was, like, which number seven? You know, it was just, like, small stuff. And it was, I had a voiceover agent because I had done radio plays Who in London. Uh-huh. Uh, CED, I think they were named. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, that was really a long time ago. So I had like a demo that I was sent off with with, from drama school. Was it hard for you to break into directing? I think, um, I mean, I think it was a huge huge part of wanting to direct really came from wanting to play characters that I was excited to play. Um, And I had written, I'd always been a writer, sort of closeted, you know, Mm -hmm. and then um, sort of came out to my representatives as a a writer. Um, I had wrote in a world first and I brought it to my agents and said, um, I want to shop for directors on this and find someone to direct me in uh, starring in this movie that I wrote for myself. What did they say? And so we started and we shopped and shopped and it was like we couldn't quite find like the person for it. And my agent at the time, still my agent, Billy Lazarus, said to me, um, uh, why don't you direct us? You said you wanted to direct. So why not now? And I was like, I would never, ever (laughs) direct a feature if I haven't done a short film. And he was like, then write a short film and fucking direct the short film. And I was like, I got to go, you know, so <laughs> oh I immediately got off the phone, wrote Worst Enemy, which I then cast. Um, I just wrote it, sent it, you know, just like asked friends, found a producer, Jet Steiger, who ended up dire- uh, being my producer for my my features. Um, and I made it. I just invested myself and did that. And then that went to Sundance and wow. then it started. And it was like wow, awesome. it was a tester because it was like. I think I can direct, but I I don't want I don't have the audacity to take that on without sort of taking something bite size. 
Yeah. And so I did it and then it became like a calling card, a visual and tonal calling card for me as when looking for. So it was really fun. It it also was like a wise therapeutic move, like to do it so that I could confirm that I could. And did you feel, did you face any stigma or criticism sort of, you know, you were known as an actor. And then you're transitioning to writing and directing. Did you feel any? Well, listen, it's so interesting stigma? now because you have people doing it now. I mean, when I made in a world, I mean, there was like, there was it was very there was no actors, actresses, let's say, writing and directing and starring and producing no. a film. Yeah, like totally it was right. just quite. It was like, oh, you know. And so I think part of the story of like in a you know in a world was like oh my god look at this actress doing this other stuff you know um and it and that you know it was very fulfilling i i felt um yeah i felt it was beautiful it was beautiful it's, to be received that way as a, as a female you didn't feel like oh. I, I did not personally uh, okay. um i think that because it was so novel um, and because I had no doubt, I didn't walk into a room with an apology. I just didn't. So I didn't think it was weird. And, you know, I think I was definitely, my mom raised me to be like, yeah, do what you want to do. And right. don't it's like, no, like it was just never even sort of, I was like, no, I'm telling you, this is what we're doing. I, I, uh, you, you, that line, uh, don't walk into a room with an apology is Brilliant! What a great way to say it. I, I think that's fantastic. There is that's how I felt about it. You yeah. know, it was like, like let's just. So I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. And what's <laughs> so what was so great about that film? Was, I mean, it, it 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 basically encapsulated so much of you because it got you as the voiceover actress. It got you as the like being able to do all the different types of yeah, voices like and weird stuff. Oh yeah. Feminist stuff. Yeah. And then it's got that. It's got um uh you just showing off your talent as an actress. It's got your talent as a director and as a writer uh and producer and it's got all the it's got so many aspects like what a what a home run for a it, I, listen know, I, it was that doesn't happen all the time I, I know and know? I feel really grateful to that I remember you know winning uh, <laughs> like being at the Sundance sort of they had the you know the festival has a closing ceremony and it's got some awards and stuff and I was like well we gotta go because my first Sundance and this is just the coolest thing I've ever I mean I'm in competition but like I don't expect anything you know I just was so happy to be there you know and I think um when they started talking about the screenwriting award um, at the, you know, at this at Sundance Film Festival, you know, and I was just like, oh, man, I can't wait. I, I, know, I think I know the one that I would have voted for. You know, they're talking about it and saying it's about this woman who, you know, takes on this, um, you know, sort of gendered world. And, you know, and I was just like, oh, man, I like those. That's so similar. To, right? you know, I just had. No, and then they announced in a world like, you know, Lake Belfort in a world. I just. I just would, I mean, awards schmords, right? But like it was being recognized um, in really in the coolest, you know, sort of indie way you could possibly be, you know, recognized. And I think I was very, um, I, I was so floored. And I remember getting up and being like, shit, because obviously I didn't prepare anything. <laughs> um, and I was like, for, <laughs> um, for a movie um, that is wholly about, words and 
voice, I find myself speechless, wow. you know, and uh, so that worked out. But I, I think I, it, you know, it was it, it was it was really beautiful. And then it made it really hard for your second film because you're like, you're not going to, you know, it's like you're going to get. I felt like I knew making whatever I made. I felt like I was going to get lacerated because I was like it was just too golden. And I did. I got I got pretty I got pretty slapped on my second film. What no. was that like? That that sucked, but I also had dealt with. Um, it, it paled in comparison to the the real what I was really dealing with, which was I almost lost my son. So it oh, wow. so I it didn't fucking matter. Well, yeah. Sure. Um, how is your How is your son? He's great. No, he's doing he's great. Good. But that's why I can talk about. It. But it's like, I think that that was such a what a, such a, a profound lesson, you know, because it is all so big, isn't it? And it's all so. <gasps> sparkly and magic what we do you know and then there you know it's it is wise to take uh notice of reality and to center yourself and whether you like it or not you you know you have moments in life where you have to deal and wrestle with life or death you know and you have to uh you know it comes out of nowhere. And so I think going from, oh, God, I hope people like my second movie that I made, go, you know, to like, I hope I get to have this son, you know, like, right, it, right. I think there's just it puts things into perspective. It does. Sure. And it's like, yeah, it's super cliche, but it's super real. So it's yeah, I have, for a reason. I have kids of my own and um, they've had their share of health issues. Um, they're fine now. Knock on wood. But I know you were talking about it. You your uh your um you had complications with both of your births with your with mm-hmm. your kids and i was just wondering how you dealt with that how you well i think this is a perfect that. example of it right mm-hmm. so it's like you think it was like everything to me to think about oh it's very exposing to put a, a piece of art out in the world you know whether it's funny or not funny or whatever it is um and you know i poured years and years of my love and heart and soul into i do until i don't and I, you know, I take, I, I obsess over every detail, you know, and I, 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 there's just so much energy, um, like life force poured into a movie, you know, that you've written, you've directed, you've produced and you star in, you know, it's like, it's just like, what? Like, it's so much that, you know, to be. I knew how vulnerable it was and I knew that, you know, in a world was such a darling and, and feeling the kind of, I knew it would get, I knew people would be tough on me. But it, it's like you could keep pushing the limits sure. of those fish out of water moments. And, and you've done that like in your career as well. Like sure. you've thrown yourself into uh, situations that maybe you weren't a hundred percent comfortable with, but, but you're like, you're you're good at doing that at, at putting really, yourself out there. It feels like I don't know. I feel like it's I like do crave alive. it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even just thinking about it, someone was like, "Oh, it's so interesting. You've gone from like indie filmmaking to network television." Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, "Well, it's kind of cool because then it's like if you keep." Just based on my interest, I mean, I'm like, I don't want to keep doing the same thing, mm-hmm. um, mainly because. We have all these wonderful different we have a tremendous amount of mediums and genres and worlds. And I've always wanted to kind of like dabble with all of them. And so investigating the different limitations within those um, uh, different mediums 
is is compelling to me. So, for instance, like, you know, indie indie filmmaking has a tremendous amount of limitations, but I always think that that breeds creativity, yeah. you know? And so I think, like, taking on network television, for instance, there's obviously a tremendous amount of limitations, but... Um, but I know, like, all three of us in this room have, have worked in this business, and we've all worked on projects that are near and dear to our hearts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of these projects happen very quickly. Some other projects take a while. Uh, and yeah. I know... With I do until I don't. I think if I correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but you know this is something that you were working on for many many years. Many years. Many years, and then ultimately it finally went. But um, and I have worked on projects too that you know you write a script and it takes years until it finally gets made. You know my question to you is as a creator, how do you sort of you know keep going, and how do you not give up with that project? Like what motivates you to keep pushing forward? I really feel that um, I need to tell stories and need to continue to do those things, even when, you know, critics are going to punch me in the face and kick me on the ground, even though, you know, they don't know that, you know, you almost lost your son and they'll continue to write shitty things about the art that you've made. And, you know, it's like it, it can be dark, you know, and I think if you let it get to you or you can be intellectual, and go, OK, <laughs> that's OK. It's almost like when someone's angry at me, I have trouble with that. You know, it's like I got to be okay with someone not liking what you made and or being angry at you. And that's like a massive life lesson for all people. You know, it doesn't mean that you're going to die. You know, it means that you're alive and very much so people have opinions about you. Look at that. Ain't that great. Exactly. Before we wrap up, uh, I, I wanted to ask you this. Uh, you're a board member of Women in Film. Uh, what aspects of the film industry or society in general do you think we need to change for, for so that more women get opportunities to direct and DP? and, and to Oh, work? absolutely. First of all, yeah. That's no, a big question. It but, is a big question. But it is, it, it, it's, a, it's an amazing thing that you're a part of that I've been uh, organization. A board, I've been a board member for Women in Film. Um with women in film for a number of years now. And I think initially I was kind of like, oh yeah, I want to be a part of that. I don't even know what they do, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And then I got in there and I realized that what's profound about the work that they're doing, usually when you hear statistics about almost 90% of the statistics you hear being flopped around the internet usually come from the research that we do. So not only are we actively sort of investigators, but then we also... um, We have a myriad of projects that help not just like we're not talking um, like, oh, there's this student who wants to get her first film made. We have support infrastructure for that. But it's mostly for mid-career women. Right. You've made your second film. You're a well-known director even, but you've fallen off those lists in the radar because you're of a certain age or you're not being considered. Right. There's also. Yeah, because that is a huge. A lot of people are like, oh, they made their first film. Wow. Look at that sparkly magic thing. Now, let's how do we build a career for that person where they're just a household name? Like, that's what's interesting. That's not happening. And then uh, the way that we're working hard is systemically. Right. So you have to be um, you have to create opportunity for um, board members or other educators to be within the studio systems like for instance i can tell you outright that like when staffing or finding directors or finding crewing up on on shows dps and everything there's a list 
there's just a list for all of those things. And it just hasn't changed. It's just and it's all dudes. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, okay. Like, as, you know, being a female filmmaker who makes this a priority, I, I was like, guys, we, we're we you know what it means? It means it's going to take this much longer. It's it. We're going to meet if we're meeting with three men that you like. Great. I want to meet them. We are then going to meet with three women who are totally um, uh, qualified to be in this room. So maybe they're just not on that list, but they have done all the same credits. OK, so so and they're appropriate candidates. So we did that with every single department head. And then we I'm very proud to say that we have the reframe stamp, which is basically like a stamp of approval from the women in film um, institution in general in, on this industry to um, have equal just full parity in all uh, above the line uh, department wow, heads. That's awesome. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Great. It's great. It's an easy thing to do. It's easy things to strive for on, on your production. You'd be like, oh, I want the reframe stamp. You know what I mean? Like that's a great incentive um, to kind of put your money where your mouth is a little bit. That's amazing. Um, one other question I had before we wrap up is um, your movies in a world, I do until I don't, and bless this mess, all sort of tackle difficult subjects, but through a hopeful lens. Mm hmm. You know, my question to you is why is it important for you to bring a message of hope to your work? I feel like there's a lot that's shitty um, in the news and around us and has I've always felt like it's really easy to be mean and to be blue. And um, I think it's much harder to f mine for comedy in what is light and what is um, kind in spirit. And I've always made that a challenge. Um, and ultimately I, you know, if it's the simple difference of like, okay, a viewer has ingested something that I've put out there in the world and then they get they they feel a certain way when they leave that, you know, imaginary space, they get in their car, someone cuts them off. It's the difference between them being like, well, fuck you. Or, yeah, don't worry about it, buddy. You got it. Have a good day. You know, like that, the simplicity of just affecting someone in that way, um, it, it means the world to me. So I think it's like sometimes I feel overwhelmed like so many people do. God, what can I do? Shit. You know, you can only donate so much money, you know, and I do and I volunteer and I'm a, I'm a you know, I'm a participant in the world and, and I am philanthropic in in all those ways. But I feel like how can I use the thing that I do to make the world a little bit better and that mm -hmm. would just be i hope you know to kind of produce entertainment and create content that makes the human person feel good <laughs> um as someone who has had their fair share of roadblocks um and has never given up mm -hmm. what advice do you have for people who may be struggling either personally and professionally in their lives and their career to, to keep going, to stay motivated. I look, I feel like we are <laughs> I'm I'm such a team player. I feel like you don't have to do everything all by yourself, alone in a dark room. And like we're doing right now. Like right now. <laughs> it's not that dark. Let's really paint a picture for people. Um it's pitch black, guys. Yeah. Get me out of here. Um <laughs> No. Um but no, I think 
people often feel like I have to do all of it, you know, and I do think just I'm telling myself this, too, you know, so because I do feel that I have to do all of it. <laughs> I'm a mom, you know, a writer, a director, a, an actor, a producer, you know, I, you know, it's like I have to make lunch, you know, just a certain way before I do the, you know, and I think um, I think lean I would just say that you know I I wouldn't have sort of believed had the belief in myself to go and take on these things if I hadn't le- had these intact um uh pivotal moments with others with people who believed in me you know so to listen to good advice and to not s- ignore it because you think you're not doing it on your own and that you won't get credit as much if you do if you do it you know with the guidance of someone else that makes a lot of sense um it is a absolutely incredible pleasure to hang out with you and uh hear all your thoughts and and i can't wait to see what you do next thank you thanks Thanks, so much for coming in yeah thanks for coming out and sharing time in our little black box yes indeed Never Surrender is produced by Western Sound. Executive producers are Jack Hergoth, Stephen Kramer Glickman, and Ben Adair. Producers are Sabrina Fang and Cameron Kell. Music by Hannes Brown. On social media, you can check us out on Instagram at Never Surrender Pod, on Twitter at Surrender Pod, and on Facebook at Never Surrender Podcast. You can also email us at NeverSurrenderPodcast at gmail.com to share your own stories about how you struggled, failed, and ultimately never surrendered. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.